Welcome to the DC Wash-Up. I am producer Roscoe Whalen in a memotus week of US politics. Memomentous. Memomentous. Something like that. Momentous? Yeah, kind of. Anyway, we'll explain (laughs) that really bad pun soon. I am producer Roscoe Whalen, and in the studio I am joined by North America correspondent Stephanie March. Hello. And we also have a special guest today, Steph. Yay. It is... Ellie Bradfield, who is the journalist in charge. That's a great title. Oh, journalist in charge. And well deserved. Yes, in Toowoomba. And she is a Young Walkley Award winner and she has graced us with her presence for the past week, thankfully, because it's been a crazy week. Welcome. What an introduction it's been to DC. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Now, when we do this podcast, it always feels like we were only in here five minutes ago and that it's always changing and we never keep up. And I think for the last three weeks, we've done the podcast and it's aged within three, four hours. Yep. Fortunately, this week, it's not going to happen. Or at least for now, touch wood, it's not going to happen. Steph, why are we so ahead of the curve this week with the podcast? Because I like to put the audience first and... um, (laughs) We may have recorded the podcast yesterday, and I may have said I was going to send it to the production desk in Brisbane, and I may have forgotten. Oh, and boy. And so I'm, I'm happy to own that, um, but I will say that, as you just mentioned, it probably would have become irrelevant within about two hours um, after a special prosecutor was announced. So in a way, everyone wins. Only oh, ah. yeah. so, so we Unless be... Roscoe misses his plane. Unless that's Roscoe right. Tick-tock, tick-tock. So, um, so we should be thanking you. Yeah. Thanks, Steph. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a real pleasure. So where would we like to begin? And it's amazing in that sense because yesterday we had two pretty um, clear topics that we went through, uh, one being James Comey, one being um, links to Russia, the same things that we talked about the week before and the same things that we probably talked about every other week for the past three months in this dramedy, which is the Trump administration and its White House. We have a New lead on the story, which is mm. something you experience um, a few times per day in this job, <laughs> Steph. Yeah, it's sort of a, you know, you, what you start out doing in the morning and then what you're doing by midday and then what you're doing by the end of the day um, is vastly different. So maybe we, should we work backwards? I don't even know. Yeah, I was just going to say what we have taken to doing this week is um, titling our scripts because we work collaboratively here. This is a little bit of how the sausage <laughs> is made. We work collaboratively in uh, joint documents um, and we title the script what we think it's going to be. And most days, you know, it's, you know, it's, uh, you to be Obama makes speech on this trip to NATO something like that we've taken to now just titling the scripts script until 5 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> and for those of you in a different time zone what Roscoe's talking about is essentially that we all bombshell o'clock yeah 5:30 uh, six o'clock has kind of become bombshell o'clock so last night it was the announcement of a special prosecutor to take over the Russia Trump campaign links investigation um, the day before that it was the New York Times releasing that James Comey the now ex FBI director had a memo um, where he wrote that Trump asked him to drop his investigation into former Trump NSA advisor Mike Flynn, um, and yeah, it felt it's been like that for like a week. Does this happen in Toowoomba, Ellie? <laughs> All the time, yeah, every day. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah. So I'm, and let's. That's a good. That's like oh. kind of a good contents page, Steph. So let's. Um... Well, let's talk about what's happening with the Russia investigation. So yeah, um, as we know, it's sort of it, there's three investigations going on into Donald Trump's campaign and possible links to Russia. One's being done by the House. One's being done by the Senate, and one's being done by the FBI. The FBI one has been particularly drawn into turmoil because 
because of the sacking of the FBI director James Comey, uh, which Trump initially said had nothing to do with Russia. It was because he didn't do a very good job investigating Hillary Clinton's emails. Trump later came out and said, well, actually, it had a bit to do with the Russia thing. And so there was a bit of a sense that maybe that investigation was potentially tainted because Trump may have been putting pressure on the FBI to um, drop it. That was causing a lot of calls from Democrats and some Republicans to appoint a special prosecutor, an independent person, to take over the investigation. That happened yesterday. Uh, Late in the day, Ron Rosenstein, the acting attorney general, uh, released a statement saying he's appointing Robert Mueller. Mueller? Mueller. Mueller. You you were one of two there. You've got uh, Rosenstein and and Mueller, but you've got Mueller, Mueller. so 50%. Awesome. uh, and he's the ex-director of the FBI who was there before James Comey. He was there for 12 years during the Bush administration um, and part of the Obama administration. And he is now taking on, uh, taking over, I should say, the investigation. So in some ways, I think it's put, it, it's made, makes things a bit easier for the Trump administration because now whenever questions get raised about the impartiality of any investigation, they can say, well, We've got a special prosecutor, a special counsel. Um, so I think it's definitely deflects for them any criticisms while the investigation's ongoing. But it's still, I don't know whether it will stop the leaks. I, I think in terms of, you're right, the creating some credibility again into the investigations into Russia, Russia this is almost essential in the sense that Rob Rosenstein was both a witness and a participant in what was going on in the sense that he somehow became complicit, whether intentionally or not, in Donald Trump's scheme to fire James Comey, which was uh, just over a week ago. So within that, he used the letter that Rob Rosenstein had produced as the excuse for firing James Comey and then revealed, actually, I was going to fire him anyway. Uh Uh-uh. And then on top of that, the memo that supposedly James Comey produced or wrote about Donald Trump suggesting that he should drop the investigation into Michael Flynn would have quite possibly been cited by Andrew McCabe and I have lost it. Who's the deputy FBI director? It's really confusing, but I think essentially the way I read it is putting the special counsel in place pretty much just removes any concern that Trump could be tinkering with the FBI investigation. It gives it more credibility. Um, He has subpoena power um, through a grand jury. He has the special prosecutor, that is. Um, He has the ability to bring criminal charges. So I think in that sense, you know, that investigation... What a a shot and chaser by Rob... Rosenstein, by the way, you know, the guy that comes in and produces yeah. the letter that's like, oh, you know... You should sack Comey. Next week. And then it's like, oh, hang on, now you should maybe get this other guy to investigate it because I don't trust the FBI anymore. <laughs> but I think it, what it does is it kind of takes the power away. So the person investigating it has nothing to do with the FBI, is not an employee of the Department of Justice, gives it a little bit of independence... Um, and does have the power to press criminal charges. Ellie, what do you make of all this? <laughs> I need a drink. I have a headache. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> it's just amazing to watch from someone who has you know, been a bit of an outsider. I consider myself reasonably invested in American politics. I kind of watch it you know, quite closely from Australia. But what I've kind of noticed since I've been here is how invested everyone else is mm. in American politics, which is so different from what we're seeing in Australia at the moment. When I was getting coffee the other day, everyone was talking about Comey. Where's the documents? Where's, you know, where's so, Comey himself? <laughs> where is Comey and when are we going to see this? You know, And I think that's just so different from what we're seeing in Australia at the moment where people are just not even 
not even, I guess, interested in politics, mm. that it's all kind of blah, well, people seem to think that it's kind of all blasé, whereas that's been just the complete opposite experience here in America where everyone is so involved and invested in it. And I think I have spent some time at both Twitter and Huff post since I've been here and that's been really interesting as well that they've kind of said that all of this drama or all of this movement has kind of been a great thing for them in a way because it's driving people firstly to Twitter because the president mm. is tweeting all the time <laughs> but but secondly it's driving people to websites and kind of helping save these business models in the media that are struggling because everyone wants to know what's happening next. And it's arguably proven exactly the role of what the media should be. And this has been kind of the to and fro and the struggle for Republicans on Capitol Hill is they've got a president that's part of their party who's, you know, creating a lot of drama. They don't necessarily want to go after him too hard while they're pushing their agenda. And they've even said it sometimes, you know, it's up to the media to to reveal that source Mm. or to reveal that document or that memo. So the media is really playing that role of the the great scrutinizer of American politics right now. Is it though? I find it so interesting that it seems to be, well, especially at publications like HuffPost or the New York Times, for example, that have kind of traditionally been leaning one way or the other, that people can just choose what information that Mm. they get. And I think it was, Steph, you were showing us the websites, the more, you know, right-leaning websites. Mm. You had to scroll down pages to find this story, which is arguably the biggest story of the day. It just amazes me that... That is true. The consumption yeah. of the story is an interesting thing, and and there, that is a problem as well. Is that you know, and a lot of people talk while inside the the Beltway or the DC bubble, these yeah. stories are massive, and they're genuinely creating change on Capitol Hill, as we see with the special prosecutor. Do people that vote for Donald Trump really care, Steph? I I think I've spoken to a couple in the last few days, and they agree with Donald Trump when he says it's a witch hunt and no other president has been exposed to this kind of scrutiny um, or attacked as much as he has, um, or no political figure, I think he said. Um, Personally, I think that's possibly a bit of a stretch considering how far Congress went after Hillary Clinton with a number of different congressional investigations. Um, But I don't think Trump supporters necessarily will be turned off by this um, for a few reasons. They don't trust politicians. They don't trust the so-called liberal media, and these leaks are coming from the Washington Post, they're coming from the New York Times. Um, And I think there's also, Trump gets a bit of leeway from his supporters because he's not a traditional politician and they don't expect and have never expected nor wanted him to do things the traditional way. Um, So I think that they do give him quite a long, you know, a long rope in a way. And if you look at their coverage as well, it's all, you know, I was watching Sean Hannity on Fox and he was saying, you know, there's the five pillars trying to bring down Trump. It's the destroy Trump media. It's the establishment Republicans. It's Democrats. And so they blame everyone but the president, really. Um, and it's and like again, they're getting what they asked yeah, for. Yeah, they lock them, and they if they lock themselves into their media bubble, you know, the Beltway kind of crew locked themselves into another liberal bubble, uh, you get really distorted perceptions about what's actually happening in America. How about Donald Trump and how he's handled this? I mean, he was supposedly fuming last week when... FBI Director James Comey was given the boot and he got a pretty negative response where people said, oh, you fired the guy in charge of the investigation. It's terrible. They genuinely thought they were going to get a good response because Democrats haven't liked him because the Hillary Clinton investigation, apparently. And there's been all these reports this week and take them with a grain of salt with how much you trust some of these reporters who have insight and sources. But he was fuming. He was swearing, which is rare for Donald Trump. He was yelling at his aides. He was furious. 
Supposedly, in the last couple of days, in particular, with the announcement of the special prosecutor, he's been very mellow. And, you know, he was the one last night that dictated the response and the, you know, what went to the media, and it was signed, like, it was signed off by Donald Trump as the spokesman for himself. Apparently, they're under control. They're kind of a little bit relieved in the sense that this investigation's down away and it separates them. Do you think Donald Trump is handling it better now, or is his back well, against the no, wall? No, I or, think it's just... Or is that just... I mean, he did send out a very measured statement last night saying that the, you know, the special counsel will find nothing. Um, I welcome this to be resolved as soon as possible. It was very traditional. And then today he's tweeting saying it's a witch hunt. Um, you know, look at what Obama and Clinton did and they were never um, investigated by a special prosecutor. I'm the most, you know, um, scrutinised politician in history. I That's very typical. I mean, that doesn't sound like a calm person to me, but... If you I, were his advisor, wouldn't you just be trying to get his hands off the phone? Oh gosh, you <laughs> buy one of those up. like phones that don't actually have a SIM card in it for kids. And just like, just <laughs> use this one's phone. Yeah. So I think it's you know it it definitely does make it a bit easier for them to deflect things. But then there's still the other thing that's been bounced around a bit in the last couple of days that has been bounced around since November eight is the I word impeachment. Um, and I think that's another thing that the liberal um, sort of bubble has maybe become a bit obsessed with. And I remember being in California a few months ago and every cab driver, ah, he's going to get impeached, he's going to get impeached. Um, and those really progressive places, that's what they see. And you were saying, Ellie, as well, you feel like... Uh, last night people... I was looking on my Facebook feed and there was so many comments saying, you know, it's not if he's impeached, it's when. <sighs> yeah. And... That's kind of not really what... Yeah, someone pour some cold water over that place. Yeah, because it's like there's a few things to to that and, you know, impeachment's a really difficult process. Essentially, Congress has to vote to make the decision to impeach and then the Senate will have a trial and convict and they need a two-thirds majority. And you've got a Republican majority in both the House and the Senate um, who are very, very keen on getting their legislative agenda through. They want tax reform. They want to repeal and replace Obamacare. They want to get rid of all Obama's environmental regulations. There's a lot of things that those politicians have been chomping at the bit to do for eight years and they don't want to see that um, you know, fall apart um, by having it overshadowed by an impeachment scandal. So I think it's something that, you know, Liberal... And, and the grounds for impeachment as well, it's bribery, treason, high crimes or misdemeanours. And I think it was Gerald Ford who replaced Richard Nixon when he resigned after he was about to be impeached, who said, you know, high crime or a misdemeanour is whatever the House decides it to be at that time. <laughs> so in this case, the question is, did Trump try and obstruct justice when he allegedly urged Comey to drop the investigation? You know, it depends on what um, sort of how it's perceived. It depends on you know, how that would be read. Um, I think it's interesting to think about the fact Comey didn't seem to think, well, didn't report it that we know of, so maybe he didn't think it was an attempt to interfere in the judicial process. But the whole process of impeachment's highly complicated. Um, You need a very willing House and Senate, um, and no American president's ever been removed from office through impeachment. So calm down. And I, and I think, yeah, and I th- well, <laughs> for starters, yeah. And I think one of the things which we were talking about before is is part of this as well. And I, I was talking to someone from the Obama administration the other day, and he was saying that, you know, the idea of rushing to impeachment is a really dangerous step because an impeachment is a political step, right? It requires Congress and those on Capitol Hill to, to make it pass. So therefore it's political because it's, it's, mm. um, it's whipping the votes to get a president impeached. 
Donald Trump's about 120 days into his administration, give or take. It feels like 120 years, but Mm -hmm. he isn't that far in. And he won the most divided election in American history. The idea that if he were to be impeached or calls to get him impeached, which have been coming from the left, there were Democrats that stood up in in the chamber Mm. this week that said he should be impeached. It's a really dangerous step because it suddenly seems like it's it's quite straightforward. You can impeach a president in a heartbeat. And once the word, as you said, like your Facebook feed starts being filled with this word impeachment, it's it's a ripple effect. It will flow on and then it's like a mudslide of impeachment. It's really dangerous, not just if if and when Donald Trump is impeached, so to speak, or yeah. if there is a if there are grounds to impeach him at some point. That's all well and good, but the idea that you could impeach a new president within four months will have dire consequences for future presidents, but also have consequences for democracy in general. It reminds me of the way we in Australia roll our prime ministers at the slightest drop in polls or, you know, factional backroom manoeuvrings. And it's, I think it's been immensely detrimental to the Australian political landscape. It it erodes credibility, it erodes faith in the institutions, and it makes people not want to vote. And that's America's biggest problem right now is only half the population votes. Donald Trump got elected to drain the swamp, and if it kind of, Capitol Hill eats itself... Mm. I was talking to someone earlier this week who was talking about the the situation with Trump and he made a very, very snide remark, that something along the lines of, well, you Australians would know all about trying to get rid of your prime mm. minister, wouldn't you? Like, <laughs> true, how dare you question our democracy when... credibility as well. Um, and just a little blast from the past before we move on from impeachment. Um, just to think back to October 2008 when Donald Trump was saying that George Bush should be impeached and Wolf Blitzer on CNN asked him why and his response was because he lied. So I think, you know, again, history is going back to fighting in the bottom. <laughs> my blast from the past while we're doing that is, uh, was it 2014 when um, Barack Obama wore a tan suit in the press briefing room and, oh, um, and Republicans um, called for him suit. to be not quite impeached but, you know, action taken. I mean, how times have changed. Indeed. It was a simpler day, 2014. <laughs> <laughs> I was a young man at the time. Bad dressing was a crime. <laughs> so that seems like a large part of it, but what we haven't even touched on is the fact that the first scandal this week was, in fact, that Donald Trump supposedly leaked classified information to the Russians while oh. they were in the Oval Office. That oh, seems that? Like, yeah. Oh, that old chestnut. Um, um Quickly on that, I think it's um, quickly really been buried, but um, it's a really important thing um, and we I would like to see it gotten to the bottom of because Australia is a very close intelligence relation, um, sharing partner with America, part of this group called Five Eyes, which is, um, you know, Canada, the UK, Australia, America and other countries, New Zealand. New Zealand. Um, and it's a really close relationship. It's incredibly important to global security um, and if anyone, and plus all America's other um, partners and allies, if they get cold feet when it comes to sharing information that could pose really dire problems to, you know, maintaining the global order. You know, Not to what, overstate it. No, and, and you know what, though? Like, at least there is there's a way out of this, I think, especially with this classified information that was supposedly given to the Russians, <laughs> is that Vladimir Putin, Russian <laughs> president, is kindly offering up the recording of, uh, of the meeting so we can get to the bottom of whether any information was leaked. Steph... I mean, should, should Capitol Hill take uh, the president, the Russian president up on this offer? Oh, well, look, if the tapes are there, the tapes are there. I mean, so, yeah, wow. the, the yeah. meeting between Trump and um, the Russian foreign minister and the um, Russian ambassador, ambassador to the US, um, there was a bit of scandal around at the time because there was no press allowed in the room and the only photos that came out were from the Russian 
um, state photographer who was allowed in the room and it was all a bit weird. And then, yeah, now maybe Putin's got some tapes and Democrats are demanding that the unedited transcript be released. Um, but I say, yeah, let's go for the tapes. Anyway, I mean, this works perfectly for the Russians, this idea that, you know, America's falling apart, it's eating itself. Like Vladimir Putin's having an absolute ball because the argument is that the strategy that comes from Russian interference into the US election is um, is that they are trying to destabilise America. They're trying to destabilise their alliance with NATO. They're trying to destabilise Europe and subsequently the Soviet Union can return to its former glory. Russians haven't had this much fun since, I don't know, like, what, Sochi <laughs> Winter Olympics 2014? I, 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 but seriously, like, Vladimir Putin, when he makes these comments in the press conference with Lavrov there, sitting in the crowd, chastising Chuckling him, saying, almost, you are, yeah. you're in big trouble because you didn't tell me the secrets you got, and then to drop the word recording, he knows that he is just, he's just poking and needling the US democracy, and it's just turning out great for Russia so far. I mean, it'll be interesting to see where this investigation goes next, but geez. Maybe that's the strategy. Just keep doing ridiculous thing after ridiculous thing after ridiculous thing so no one can get to the bottom of the first ridiculous thing that you did. I think I think that's true. Um, well, just one of the many things that went completely unnoticed this week is that as a complete aside in Roscoe, you're going to miss your plane. Trump railed against repealing the getting rid of the Iran deal. Mm. Um, and this week he actively extended the sanctions relief. Mm. Like, his base <laughs> should be up in arms. Yeah, but, but instead they're up in arms about the, you know, the witch liberal hunt. media and the witch hunt. The political witch hunt. So it's either genius or something else. Yeah, I don't think things are going to get better uh, very quickly. I mean, we saw Donald Trump give a commencement address at the US Coast Guard earlier this week and he was presented a sabre at the end. Um, it was a little hot mic situation where uh, Depart- um, Secretary of the Homeland Security, uh, John Kelly, said to Donald Trump, you should use it on the press, <laughs> sir. <laughs> and Donald said, why? He goes, use it on the press. He goes, Does that mean we should get chain mail? Yeah, that's right. For safety. <laughs> Have to fill out that safety form every time you do a story about US <laughs> politics from now on. Risk analysis of going to the White Guys, that's another mammoth week here in the Washington, D.C. Bureau. I am gladly out of here for a little vacay, vacation. (laughs) And um, we'll miss you. Thank you, Steph. You're going to have to. It's just going to be me. Steph, you're going to have to find some new friends. (laughs) Really? Yeah, you're going to have to see if there's anyone left in this bureau that wants to be on this podcast. I don't think anyone wants to be on this podcast. (laughs) What about Connor Duffy? What's his story? Yeah, Connor Duffy. Get in here. You haven't been in this podcast for two to three weeks, and we want you back. We really enjoyed your presence. You've had some good takes, and um, you're always welcome here. I think, you know, if if you guys like Connor Duffy, then you should tweet at him. Tweet at him. Relentlessly. Hashtag bring back Duffy. Yep. Cool. Heaps. Impeach Duffy. Subpoena Duffy. Subpoena <laughs> Duffy. All right, anyway, that's all we've got time for. Ellie, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks it's, for having it's me. It's been a pleasure. And Steph, thanks for making me do it again. <laughs> See you next week.